Jen Ryan Brown will share our reading this morning from Barbara Brown Taylor. Thank you, Jen. Our reading this morning is from Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor from her book, An Altar in the World. She writes about the vocation of becoming fully human, saying, quote, since some people consider being human a liability, then fully would only make things worse. I would perhaps explain what I mean. To become fully human means learning to turn my gratitude for being alive into some concrete good. It means growing gentler toward human weakness. It means practicing forgiveness of my and everyone else's hourly failures to live up to divine standards. It means learning to forget myself on a regular basis in order to attend to the other selves in my vicinity. It means living so that I'm quote, I'm only human, does not become an excuse for anything. It means receiving the human condition as a blessing and not a curse in all its achingly frail and redemptive reality. My friends, it has been a hard week in the news. And yet again, it feels like most weeks these days are hard weeks in the news. From yesterday's shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and gun violence and anti-Semitism and white supremacy to the Trump administration's announcement earlier this week of their intention to define such gender in such a way that our transgender siblings will be erased which we know and promise you will never be erased. And bombs being mailed to high-ranking Democrats and a historic Baptist church in Wakefield burning down from a lightning strike and a caravan of over 7,000 migrants, refugees really, seeking safety in a country where they know they will not be welcomed with open arms. But it is better to try to go than to stay. There is so much that calls out to us, cries out to us for our attention, for our compassion, for our money, for our time. And it can sometimes feel too heartbreaking and too exhausting. Can I get an amen? amen. And that is only just this week. It's not even taking into account last week or the Kavanaugh hearings, which feel so long ago, but not long enough or taking into account the demands of our own lives, our children, our partners, our parents, our partners' parents, our neighbors, our friends. I feel worn thin myself sometimes, just trying to do my job, which I love, and take care of my family and my household, and grieve my dad's death, and make my dentist appointments, and find time to make art, which restores me and call the bank and the insurance company and tell them they've changed my address and show up for the rally and the meeting and the people I love. This work, this vocation, as Barbara Brown Taylor said in our reading, this vocation of becoming fully human is a hard task, but it is a blessing and not a curse. 
because we can do hard things. It is how we get closer to our purpose, our vocation of becoming fully human. We can do hard things. I have learned a lot about doing hard things from my mom. When I was in first grade, I was having some sort of problem in the classroom. I do remember that it was some sort of social situation, not catastrophic, but very upsetting. But the specifics have been lost to time. I, do, I remember, though, that it created a lot of stress for me, and my mom gently but firmly insisted that she would, under no circumstances, talk to the teacher for me. She would come with me, she promised. She would practice what I wanted to say with me, but she would not solve the problem on my behalf. I whined, I am sure. I protested. I put money on the fact that I probably sulked. But in the end, we went in to talk to the teacher together. And at that point, it was one of the hardest things she had ever asked me to do. You will probably be unsurprised to hear that research on resilience in children shows that my mom was, of course, right in her insistence that I advocate for myself. The Harvard University Center on, Devel on the Developing Child says that learning to cope with manageable threats is critical for the development of resilience. Not all stress is harmful, they say. There are numerous opportunities in every child's life to experience manageable stress. And with the help of supportive adults, this positive stress can be growth promoting. Over time, we become better able to cope with life, life's obstacles and hardships, both physically and mentally. The research shows that resilient children are resilient in part due to personality traits, like whether they are more naturally inclined to put the locus of control of their situation internally or externally, and in part due to circumstance and luck, like whether or not they have a supportive adult presence in their life. However, the, behavior that, the behaviors that foster resilience are learned skills that stay with us throughout our lifetime and can be learned at any age. Scientists who work on resilience research in both children and adults say that it is important to think of resilience as a muscle that can be strengthened and used at any time. In order to build resilience, they recommend the following practices, all of which can be cultivated. They emphasize the importance of caring and supportive relationships that offer physical support and also allow us to process and make meaning of our experiences. They point at an orientation toward optimism, which is not ignoring that something is hard, but believing that there is the potential to be happy again and that challenges can be an opportunity for growth. They talk about the importance of framing, to see oneself as someone who has survived challenging circumstances rather than as somebody who has been a victim of their circumstances, and as someone who has control over one's future choices. And they talk about using hardships to deepen a sense of purpose in life, whether it is to do some sort of advocacy, to become more committed to the relationships around you, to live your vocation more fully, or to use your own difficult experiences to help others. In short, research for both children and adults stresses that we learn to cope with hard things by practicing doing hard things. So if you want to increase your own capacity for resilience, do a hard thing. 
And so often the hard thing, the capital H, capital T hard thing, is made harder by the fact that I have such a hard time facing it head on. Is that true for any of you? Blogger and writer Glennon Doyle says, brave is not a feeling you should wait for. It is a decision. It is a decision that compassion is more important than fear, than fitting in, or than following the crowd. You do not have to feel unafraid to also feel brave. You simply have to make a decision. A decision that is in service to a greater purpose, in service to the calling of your life that insists it be heard. That still small voice inside that knows what must be done, even if you would prefer not to have to face it, because whatever it is is too scary or too hard or threatens with too much loss. Perhaps even more so than my first grade lesson in self-advocacy, I think of my mom as someone who has done hard things and made brave decisions in service of a larger purpose in her own life. You see, my mom grew up in a very unstable home situation. The oldest of four children, her parents were divorced before she was two, and she grew up with her mother and several half-siblings. And with her mother, she moved every few years to every few months, and there were several different boyfriends and stepfathers who lived with her through her childhood. And my mother's mother, my biological grandmother, she struggled with untreated addiction and severe mental health issues, and the specific combination of these meant that she was not in a shape to be caring for four young children. Throughout my mother's childhood, neglect and poverty and food insecurity and abuse and foster care were all woven throughout. And for various reasons, largely relating to the way that the Department of Children and Families prioritized custody with the child's mother in that era, my grandfather could not get custody of my mom, even though I learned as an adult he had been fighting a, legal, a losing legal battle throughout her childhood. They had regular visits, and my grandfather was at that point remarried and had a suburban house and a four-year-old and a new wife and a job. And finally, as I understand the story, when my mom was 15, she and her dad worked out a plan to meet up after school without telling her mother, and she moved out. She never went back to live with her mother. I called my mom last night to ask if I could tell this story, because we know that consent is more than just about physical touch. And we got to have a good conversation about bravery and about how to do the brave thing even when you are scared and how doing the hard thing can also liberate us. I was so scared, my mom said. I was leaving everything I knew, my family, my school, all of my stuff, everything. My mother wouldn't let me come back and get any of the stuff once I left, all my childhood pictures, mementos, clothings, clothing, nothing. The hardest part, she said, was recognizing that biology doesn't necessarily mean love or obligation to get to that point of leaving. But I knew that I had to go, that living with my mother was no longer sustainable. If you're going to talk about bravery, though, she said, you actually need to talk about Mimi, my mom said, referring to her stepmom, the woman who I have known my whole life as my grandmother, who also, also, side note, watches sermons, so shout out to my, my Mimi, and thank you to Dara for recording. <laughs> wow. 
She had a home and a marriage. She was 38 years old. She had a four-year-old, a stable family life, and she took in a 16-year-old and all of her baggage, including her irate and unpredictable mother. And she had no idea how it all would turn out, but she never once made me feel like she regretted her decision to have me move in with them, my mom said. Inviting me in, that was bravery. We can do hard things. My friends, I know each of you have stories of your own hard thing that you have done, your own brave decisions, and reflecting on the times when you have made it through when your own life has been a testament to the fact that we can do hard things. This can boost our resilience for what we face now. And these kinds of big life course setting decisions, decisions only happen a few times in a lifetime, but we can grow our muscles for resilience by doing the hard things that have been weighing on us now. And we don't have to do hard things for the sake of doing hard things. There's not some sort of redemption in suffering for suffering's sake, but I think the hardest thing also is often the thing that will liberate us. So, I invite you to schedule that conversation you need to have. Call your ministers and ask us for help. End the relationship. Ask the person out. Write the essay. Go to the dentist. Set the boundary. Ask your doctor about mental health medication or counseling. Get the lump checked out. Make the call to the friend whose absence is palpable. Be the first one to apologize. Leave the job, confess the truth, share your truth, cut off the person whose presence in your life is toxic. Go to the AA or the NA or the OA or the GA meeting. Go to the Al-Anon meeting. Give your time to someone who needs you. Do your hard thing. Because beloved people of UUAC, Remember, we can do hard things. We can do hard things because we have each other. We can do hard things because we have ha done them before. We can do hard things because we have the power to write our own stories, because the story is not yet finished, because there is liberation on the other side of the hard thing, because we are working to fulfill our vocation of becoming fully human. May it be so. And amen.